I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Go. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? Yeah, I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, back in the studio, and hanging out with, for some more uh, NFL action here, Sam. Back in the Queen City. Yes. That's what they call this place. Yes, it's what they do. Yeah, for reasons passing my understanding. Nobody knows that. Yeah. Nobody knows that at all. But yeah, we're back, and uh, there's a little bit of news to break down. Mm-hmm. We got a great quarterback question, and uh, I'm going to be GM again. Yeah. Yeah, back to playing GM a little bit Consultant later on. Consultant GM. Yes. Consultant. What were people calling it? There were a bunch of people in the email. Consulting. Saying, yeah, call, no, calling it oh. something completely different, which makes me think I must be pronouncing. Consult a GM. Yes, That's consult the GM, which makes me think I must be pronouncing consultant. Very I don't know. We all way. just like roll through words and you hear what you want to hear. Okay. I got your present. You want it? I have a present? Yeah. Okay. It's connected to our, your, well, our, your rugby challenge. Okay. Yeah. That's coming up soon. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. We're just waiting a, on a stadium. Oh, it's a helmet, isn't it? No. Helmet's a loose term for what this is. Oh, man. It's a scrum cap. A scrum cap? Yeah. Now, there's no scrummaging involved in anything you're doing, but it's, uh, it's a scrum cap. This goes in the back? Uh, yeah, the string goes in the back, yeah. I'm not putting this on right now. Yeah, we should give it a shot. My hair. It would mess up my hair for the rest of the show. I, I think see. that's a risk worth taking. I love that. Yeah, it's very very American. Yeah, yeah. How do you? So the, you take the strap off, and then, like, either side. Oh, this is. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Now, either side, and just plonk it down over the noggin. Perfect. <laughs> do you guys purposely look like idiots when you play rugby? The people that wear scrum caps do, yes. Yes. How many people wear scrum caps? Generally anybody in the forwards, but there's like a thing recently where backs will wear scrum caps for, I don't understand the reason for that, but they look. Oh, maybe stupid. they like looking good. Maybe, maybe. So I think that's perfect. USA. Yeah. USA. Awesome. I think that's, I think. So I'm wearing this with the. With the. With the yellow uh, and. With the Houston. Black jersey. Sabercats jersey. Well, looking forward to it. They were throw Houston, that. Right? We got more uh, more decorations up on the desk here, which is great. Yeah. Thanks, Amazon Prime. <laughs> All right. For those listening, yeah. I was wearing a rugby scrum cap with uh, stars, stars and, and stripes. stripes. Yeah, the yeah. stars and stri- beautifully American scrum cap. To find that, you went to Amazon and you googled stars and stripes. No, I just googled cap. scrum cap and found the most ridiculous looking one I could find. How's also, that the one this that was. Is- is our flag. Also the one that would get here in an appropriate amount of time. Like a lot of them wanted to be delivered by July and that wasn't useful. Did you get the like delivered by Memorial Day special or something here? I just found one that would be delivered in a period that I figured might actually be useful to do. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. We're looking forward to that. We're going to get the field really soon and uh, go from there. Mm-hmm. All right. For, uh, for today, we're going to be talking about the Bills a little bit too. They, they re-signed Ed Oliver and uh, there's a lot of defensive line Buffalo Bills news basically post-draft adding Puda Ford re-signing Ed Oliver yep or uh, you know extending Ed Oliver right and then just today they bring in Leonard Floyd 
-hmm. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, as a parent, your top priority is always your children's well-being. You want to give them everything they need to grow and thrive both now and in the future with term life insurance from Fabric by Gerber Life. Help protect your family so their future is secure no matter what happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy quickly, often in less than 10 minutes. Life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated, but Fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience. It's all online and on your time, and if you need the extra support, you can access a team of licensed agents who can answer questions along the way. Take steps to protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Take the 60-second quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFF. That's meetfabric.com slash PFF, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFF. Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company and distributed by Gerber Life Agency, LLC. Using fabric technology is not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. For more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFF. It also might be meetfabric.com slash PFF NFL. Try both because is, I've got conflicting information. It is, in fact, PFF NFL. It is PFF NFL. Did we get confirmed? We did. Okay, great. So it's PFF NFL, not PFF. Meetfabric.com slash PFF NFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com. Slash PFF NFL. There we go. Thanks for the clarification, Sam. All right, let's talk Bills. Since the NFL draft, they brought in Puna Ford. Yep. Might seem, you know, like a, a nothing move, but he's a, you know, a good, solid run stopper coming off a not as good year, but historically been, he's been good in the run game. Ed Oliver is another one of those defensive tackles from the class of 2019. The last time we really saw an influx of good defensive tackles, but Ed Oliver gets re-signed here, Sam. You got the terms of Ed Oliver's extension here? Four-year, $68 million contract, including $45 million guaranteed. That's an average salary of $17 million. What were your initial thoughts on Ed Oliver? Um, I It feels like a bit of an overpay. Uh, Ed Oliver is fascinating because everybody was comping Kalijah Kansi to Aaron Donald, right? Pitt. Small, undersized defensive tackle, same school, same kind of dimension, same athleticism, et cetera, et cetera. A, Ed Oliver is another one of those players that got sort of Aaron Donald comps or was in that Aaron Donald mold because, you know, six foot one, 287 pounds and moves like a defend, like a, a linebacker or a defensive back. Have you ever seen him literally run defensive back drills like the W drill? There's video of him doing that and he moves like a DB or a linebacker. His athleticism skills are nuts for the a guy ravens uh requested him working out at linebacker yeah, at the nfl at combine yes. actual like off the ball linebacker doing the things where they you know drop into coverage and catch a football all that kind of stuff for a defensive tackle um so his athleticism is nuts for a guy that is like okay he's undersized but he's still the guts of 290 pounds like we're not talking about a you know, one of these, every now and again, you see these college players that are like defensive tackles at like 245 pounds or whatever. He's he's not one of those guys. He is at least vaguely conventionally defensive tackle size, but can move around like a linebacker or a defensive back. Um, in college, his run defense grades were off the charts, but his pass rushing was a little bit lower. But he was used as like a true over-the-center nose tackle uh, by Houston, and our sort of speculation at the time was, well, maybe if you just plug him into a gap and let him actually penetrate and rush the passer, that will spike and we'll, we'll get a much more sort of Aaron Donald-like profile. That hasn't really happened, and the run defense hasn't happened in the NFL either. So 
He's been generally over four years a better pass rusher than a run defender, but it's in large part because the run defense has been pretty bad and the pass rushing has been good, but not great. Um, So I think overall it feels like a bit of an overpay unless you're still convinced that there's a better player in there that is waiting to, you know, hit that true peak of his powers. Yeah, just to add some color to your descriptions there, since entering the league, 81st percentile pass rush grade. That is good. You know, he has been a good pass rusher. That's come on even more over the last couple seasons. Run defense grade in the 39th percentile. Now, it hit a, it bottomed out in 2020, the last couple years, right around league average ish as a run defender, a little bit below average. Where he has been good is run stop percentage. He does make plays in the run game. So, why is the run defense grade not so good and the run stop percentage is high? Why does he make those plays? He just gets moved a lot. And in part, right. yeah, in part that run stop, in part that is sort of a product of his deployment. I mean, they, they keep him off the field intentionally on rundowns if they can. So generally, he's seeing like two to one in terms of snaps, pass rushing versus run defense. So I think it's probably easier to have decent, uh, decent run stop percentage numbers if you're deliberately kept off the field on rundowns and the run stops you're making are you know, draw plays on third and long type of thing. Yeah, so that's, uh, so that's Oliver's profile. Now, just to line him up with the rest of the defensive tackles from that class. Remember, he was picked eighth. Quinnen Williams was picked third. So Quinnen Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, and Christian Wilkins. Those are the other defensive tackles from the first round that have been – am I missing – I don't know if I'm missing someone off the top of my head, but um, – those guys have all been really, really good. I mean, Ed Oliver, I think, is very clearly the fifth best of that group that I just listed as far as what they've done in the, right. at the NFL level. Um, Dexter Lawrence just made a ton of money. Quinnen Williams wants to you know, break the bank and be the, the top-paid defensive tackle from that class. I mean, those, those are four legitimate players. Christian Wilkins is underrated. He has been one of our highest-graded players uh, over the last couple of years. Run defense, getting better as a pass rusher. Ed Oliver is the clear number five of that group. At first, I thought, yeah, it might, it might be a bit of an overpay. I don't disagree with you there. But I do look at the defensive tackle market this offseason and how, um, you know, Sheldon Rankins and Shai Tuttle and, you know, all these, uh, you know, Draymond Jones. I mean, Draymond Jones, who has a similar profile as Ed Oliver, maybe not as good, about $17 million a year um, for the Bears. So, Bears, right? Uh, Did I just make that up? Um, Seattle, sorry. Yeah. Man, my mind. It's the offseason. My mind's in the offseason. So Draymond Jones just made a ton of money with a similar profile. The market for defensive tackles, because I think there's, a, there's some scarcity there, the market is going crazy for anybody who's just pretty good, is good, right? Um, or has some pass rushing skill as a Draymond Jones does or as Ed Oliver does. So initially I thought it was an overpay. It probably is. But it's interesting to me that they're not getting up into that $20 million a year range as some of those other first-round picks. So they're not, like, buying into the hype from four years ago, basically. The other interesting thing about that run of defensive tackles that you talked about is all the guys that became or have become really, really good were all the giant physical freaks, you know? Like Ed Oliver, for Aaron Donald comes along, and then Ed Oliver felt like this was – 
Aaron Donald comes along as a massively undersized guy. Um, for a period of time, Geno Atkins had been the best defensive tackle in the NFL as an undersized guy, you know, less undersized, but still undersized. Uh, so it felt, and then Ed Oliver comes into the draft in 2019, and it felt for a while like we're on this run of guys where these smaller 285-pound, uh, six-foot defensive tackles are actually the new way in this defense that's getting smaller and faster consistently across the board and actually these are the guys you want to be going after because they've been overlooked for so long and the edge is getting these hyper athletes that can just dominate up front with speed and quickness and pass rushing moves and then ed oliver kind of broke it by not becoming that guy you know his the one of the big differences between ed oliver and aaron donald and kalijah Kansi, i think is Oliver didn't have the hand usage that Donald had and that Kalijah Kansi has right now. He was not anywhere near as sophisticated in terms of shedding blocks. So he can beat you into a gap with speed and quickness because he's way faster than you are. But his ability to shed the block and to, you know, use his hands to defeat blocks is a lot worse than certainly Donald's was. And I think Kalijah Kansi's is right now. But it's just interesting that while it looked for a while like the league was going to skew smaller and faster at defensive tackle generally the guys that have dominated since that point have been the ones where it looked like there wasn't even a place for them anymore like these sort of nose tackle bodies albeit hyper athletic nose tackle bodies but these bigger 330 pound guys that seem to be dying out and then you know jeffrey simmons who's much more a conventional like prototypical three tech size like six yeah. foot something, 305 pounds. Just to back that up a little bit from the old draft model, Sam, I did mention around draft time, the guys who were 80th, 90th percentile in the draft model, the hit rate's good overall, but the hit rate is through the roof if you just put it for to guys who are over 300 pounds. They're not, there's not a whole lot of guys in that 280 to 300 pound range among interior defensive linemen that have hit over the last couple of years. And honestly, Oliver's like a He's about a hit. I mean, he's like he's been solid. Right. He, he fits in as solid. Yeah, you can't call per him a season. bust. No, he's definitely he's certainly not a bust. But that's what's interesting about the the whole dynamic. A lot of times, the former eighth overall pick, who gets his four to seven sacks per season or whatever, is still going to sign a big contract. But he, he's not he's not over there breaking the bank like some of the other guys. Like you said, the three hundred plus pounders who are really good all around. He's become defensive tackle Robert Ayers. You know, you're like, you're disappointed yeah. by what he's become, but fundamentally what he's become is a good NFL player. Good NFL player, yeah, yeah. fine. And, and, and maybe one-dimensional, right? And that's and that's the difference with Oliver. Like you mentioned, you kind of want to limit him on early downs. And and that, that's the other thing, too. Remember when people were trying to say, the ESPN people were trying to say, Aaron Donald's a little overrated against the run. Mm. He'll blow some gaps, right? And like, yeah, there's some, there's some missed gaps in there for Aaron Donald. But overall, he is a destructive run defender. Aaron Donald, I mean, sorry, Ed Oliver is kind of like what they described with Aaron Donald. Like, he will be out of his gap. He will get blown off the ball. Yeah. He'll make some awesome plays as well, but he will be five yards down the field, six yards down the field. He does not hold up against double teams. And when he is trying to make those those run stops where he's really good, like when he is actually trying to make the play, a lot of times he is um, too far upfield and blowing his gap and all that stuff. Like, that stuff is true about Ed Oliver. And then, and then he's a good pass rusher. He's a good, not great pass rusher. He's also, I mean, so the Aaron Donald thing, one of the differences, again, is how, is how they're deployed. Donald is on the field all the time. They don't take him off the field for rundowns. So he isn't defending the run in the same way as Ed Oliver. Like, the, the way that they use Ed Oliver actually pours gas on the fire of how bad he is against the run. Like, they've basically at this point said, 
you are a designated pass rusher. When you're on the field, penetrate, get into the backfield, go after the quarterback. And if it's a run play, now, okay, some of these are going to be telegraphed. It's not this simple. But generally, that is going to mean he plays more towards the pass and the run, which is going to make him look worse against the run. Like, it's going to lead to a lot of those plays you're talking about where he shoots upfield, abandons his gap, and, uh uh-oh, big run goes through, you know? Like, okay, if he was playing like an even split, if he was playing the way Aaron Donald plays, like every down, he would presumably moderate his play more so that he's not doing that as much because you can't. Fair. I think that's all fair. So the other move here. um, So Ed Oliver, it's – it's probably a little bit more than what he's produced, but it's not egregious. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they're not saying, oh, he's got to make the Jeffrey Simmons and Dexter Lawrence money because they were all first-rounders the same year. Right. You know, so that, that part's at least That's good. That's true. They've, they've stayed away from having to sort of match top-of-the-market money yeah. um, for a guy that clearly doesn't deserve Which happens sometimes, right? Like, which happens because of right. you know, pedigree. The other thing, by the way, he's still only 25 years old. I mean, we are talking about somebody that is absolutely in the middle of his – not even in the middle of his prime, like good. approaching his prime. Good point, because I, I did actually want to mention that. The last couple of years have been better Yeah, for, uh, for Ed Oliver uh, all around as well. You know, run defense, pass rush. He's starting to get a little bit better. Right. So there is something to maybe this next stretch will be, will be his prime, and that's what we're banking on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other move is, is signing Leonard Floyd, who had been uh, released by the Rams, had been on the market for, uh, you know, since – since getting released, he went through free agency. Nobody signed him or anything, and I think it's a solid move. I mean, look, these are moves made in April, May, and June, post draft or whatever, are not the difference between Super Bowl and you know divisional loss. But you just start stacking up yeah. solid moves, and I think that's what the Bills are doing here. Floyd has a history of being a good run defender on the edge, and he's another solid pass rusher. Right, and I, I do think the Rams overpaid him a couple of years ago because he had his big ten sack season where the pass rush grade looked exactly like all of his previous seasons, and you could almost predict the regression of his sack totals. But just in 2021, he was the number 15 most valuable edge defender you know, during the Super Bowl run, and then last year dropped off, had his worst year since 2017. So I struggle with these guys sometimes, Sam. Like when you're in year six, seven in your career, and you hit a, a dip as Leonard Floyd did last year, does that mean, okay, it's over? Right. Or do you, do you buy back, you know, do you buy low and say, hey, let's, let's get him back to that solid player that he was because he's got a pretty good history of just being solid. Right. I mean, I haven't seen money on this one, but it's a one-year deal, so I'm assuming it's not a ton. Um, but this is just adding options, really. Like, you look at their defensive fronts now, and you've got Von Miller, who's still working his way back from injury. Who knows if he'll be ready for week one or how long, how much of the season he'll last. But is a pretty integral part of that defense. Ed Oliver, you know, Puna Ford has been added, Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips has been brought back. Then you got the young guys, Gregory Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham. Leonard Floyd has been added to that group of edge rushers who, if Von Miller doesn't make it back in time or isn't the same guy or goes down hurt again in a key stretch of the season, you know, they will hope that they can lean on Leonard Floyd a little bit if. Rousseau and Epinesa and Basham haven't taken the step forward that they were supposed to last year when Von Miller was opening things up and it it didn't really happen. So it's really everybody in this world of like high end contender, Bills, Bengals, Chiefs, um, you know, Eagles, it's this really difficult 
like, what do you do to separate yourself from everybody else? Because everybody's insane. Like, this, everybody's roster is nuts. Everybody has the QB. Everybody has the coaching. Everybody expects to be in the Super Bowl, but only one of you can from either conference. So how do you try and separate yourself from everybody else? And I think the only conclusion you can come to is just keep adding options and depth until it reaches a point where it's having a negative effect on your future ability to do that. I, I also don't, I don't know if this is by design or not, but Leonard Floyd adds another body type. So, you know, the way I, I, it's not even another body type. It's like another Gregory Rousseau body type. But the same way I mentioned how the Chiefs have guys that can play defensive tackle, they can play edge. They've got a big, long Charles Amenehu now. You've got a Chris Jones that can line up everywhere. The Bills now have, you know, super long pass rushers in Gregory Rousseau and Leonard Floyd. We know they have the undersized Ed Oliver. You've got Vaughn Miller when he's healthy. Uh, just different players. Uh, even Jordan Phillips at yeah. 350 pounds. You just have different body types that maybe you can get a little bit, uh, you know, game plan specific for some of these guys and week to week specific. It just adds a ton of depth, which I love. So, um, look, I think I'm, I'm all in on all the buy lows, right? You take Leonard Floyd and Puna Ford coming off their worst seasons. Yeah. If they can just get back to where they were in 2020, 2021 you got a good solid defensive front there that's that's added some help here in the offseason. Mm -hmm. So good job, Bills, and uh, good job making moves in June so we have something to talk about on our Monday podcast. That's the most important thing. We can add a little bit of color to some, uh, you know, just one-off moves here for 20 minutes. Yep. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. All right, what's this QB question? Yeah. Because I, I, if this is based off the email that I saw come in, I didn't even want to acknowledge it. But if let me see which one the Stacy Jacobs email, I don't remember who it was specifically. Okay, so there's it's a good email that maybe goes a little bit far. The one that attacked you? Uh, yeah, it attacks both of us. Um, goes a little bit far in some of the conclusions, but I think generally is an interesting point, and some of it is fair. So let me start reading this and potentially uh, adjust for uh, you know brevity. Hello, Sam and Steve. You make a lot of assertions and declarations of what kind, I'm going to be using air quotes a lot in this because there are some, uh, of quarterback you can win with, and you have zero direct data that shows causation to back up any of your assertions. Being an atheist myself, okay, it's a little frustrating that the vague way you use kind gives you a whole lot of wiggle room to move the goalposts. As a matter of fact, just looking at the kind of quarterbacks that have appeared in the Super Bowl since 2017, that's the date that Sam said, everything has changed in regards to what kind of quarterbacks win, refutes your hypothesis. Uh, let's look at those Super Bowls. 2017, Nick Foles versus Brady, Brady Goff, Mahomes, Jimmy G, Brady Mahomes, Stafford Burrow, Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. Uh, if more quarterbacks playing the Super Bowl are outliers to your hypothesis of the kind of quarterbacks that win, then your hypothesis is shit. Start over. Uh, I'm sorry that you and the rest of the NFL media hates pocket passers, but it would appear they're still pretty successful. Yes, Joe Burrow is a pocket passer. So are Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Jimmy G, Jared Goff, and Nick Foles. Here's what you need to do. In your deep dive, please specify... Uh, specifically de define what kind means when referring to the kind of quarterbacks that win. Please define what wins means. Is it the Super Bowl? Keep your goalposts in place. Joe Burrow is a pocket passer and you can't claim he isn't because he's good. Watch that confirmation, uh, confirmation bias. When the kind of quarterback that wins loses a bunch, don't start pretending he's not your kind. 
If I'm standing by quarterbacks like Burrow, Stafford, Carr, etc., or to their ability to win a Super Bowl, state your kind and stand by it. Uh, and then there's a bunch of waffle. Um, thanks, Stacy Jacobs. So I think this is a reasonable discussion to have because it is true that we have made some declarations as to the kind of quarterbacks that can and can't win. It's mostly you. Sure. And it's usually specifically aimed at the ones that can't, right? So you can't, quote unquote, win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, et cetera, et cetera. Now, so a couple of things I think that are issues, right? The whole I'll, email. I, I didn't even want to acknowledge the whole email. I know. Because I thought it was a well, little, it was just, I think it was missing the mark a little bit, but we've got something to respond to. I mean, it's driving Stacey. at something I think that's taking it too far. But I think the point, at least initially, is reasonable, which is, look, you're making these declarations as to who and who can't win a Super Bowl. And if you look at the actual Super Bowls, that's not how it stacks up. And then there's a discussion to be had about pocket passers relative to these athletic quarterbacks where the league seems to be trending at the moment. So the first point I think that is a problem is obviously everybody's goal, theoretically, is to win the Super Bowl, right? So we have this zero-sum game where if you win the Super Bowl, you got it right. If you don't win the Super Bowl, you got it wrong. And only one of those teams gets that every given year. So number one, uh, Tom Brady skews everything, right? And always has throughout his entire career. Yes. If you're looking at anything, most of the Super Bowls contain Tom Brady. So if you're trying to make analysis based off who was in the Super Bowl, immediately your analysis trend is going to be wrecked by the one guy yeah. that's in Let, most of them. Can we start with, can we start with that part, point then? Well, I, I got a connected one that you can start with. Okay. The second point is, and I've made this point throughout entirety is anytime your argument is sort of like let's look at the Super Bowl winners and that's how you decide what can and can't happen it's just a bunk way of working anything now limiting it to 2017 is is a reasonable start because my usual point is the game is so different if you go back you know 10 years you can't pull anything meaningful from watching 2007 games relative to games right now I know 2007 is not 10 years from 2023, but you get my point. You go back far enough, the game is so different, it's so hard to try and act like it's adjusting for era in the Super Bowls. We know you have to adjust for era in the NFL, but then when it comes to Super Bowls, we conveniently forget that and go, oh, if you just look at all the quarterbacks that did whatever in the Super Bowl, you can't win. So that generally doesn't work. And then two, if you do limit it to 2017 and start working from there, now you're dealing with a sample size of six, which just is pointless like a sample size of six is irrelevant for anything yeah. so the entire premise is difficult when you're starting with this idea of let's see who can and can't win a super bowl based off who has made the super bowl all right so let's uh let's unpack some of this stuff here let's just start during the the tom brady era okay in in the nfl so he enters the league in 2000 he becomes a starter in 2001 the patriots go from a five-win team to winning the super bowl in 2001 uh, defense or not, Tom Brady is a big part of that, right? Mm -hmm. So since 2001, between 2001 and 2022, Tom Brady wins seven as the starting quarterback. Mahomes has two. Peyton Manning has two. Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers each have one apiece. If you said since 2001, who are the elite quarterbacks in the NFL? It's that group, right? It's pretty clearly that group in their own tier of quarterback. They win 13 out of 22 Super Bowls. That's 59 percent right so this happens in uh recruiting a lot when people that work in the recruiting industry 
and, and you see these articles every year where it's like, uh, this year, uh, half the first-rounders were three-star players. And it's like, yeah, but you're pulling from a pool of thousands. The other half were, say, four or five-star players. You're pulling, pulling from a pool of hundreds. And, the, they, and there's only like 35 stars every year. And overall, they do well for a, for a group of 30 players. That's the elite quarterbacks, right? When elite quarterbacks have won 59% of the last 22 Super Bowls, that's a pretty strong number. Because some people, well, what about the other 40%? There's 40% of non-elite quarterbacks that have won. Let's, you know, and that's what most teams have. But yeah, when, like when five quarterbacks win 59% of the Super Bowls, the elite quarterback is the, is the obvious cheat code. And this probably goes, and, and it goes back to, hey, Joe Montana as the quarterback of the 49ers. And then you'd say, well, the, the Dolphins had Dan Marino. Yeah, and they didn't win any. That's, but, like, that's still the best strategy. The, the best strategy back in the 80s was still having Dan Marino and, and building around him and having the elite quarterback. So that's, like, the starting point of what – when we talk about kinds and types and all that stuff, the kind is elite no matter what they do. Right. And then if you want to say, okay, what, are, what is their style – I mean, their style is win from the pocket, but also win everywhere. Yeah. Like all those guys, Rodgers, Rodgers and Breeze and Bray, like they don't all look the same so, in how they play, but they all are the best. Yeah, I think this email is conflating two different points that we've been making. Number one, your starting point, as you say, has to be, I need an elite quarterback. Like I want Patrick Mahomes or the next Patrick Mahomes. And if I can't have that guy, I want the closest thing to him and then the further away from Patrick Mahomes you get, the harder it is to win the Super Bowl, essentially. Like, that's, the, that's basically the very simple crayons version of what every team in the NFL is doing right now. Can we agree on that? Yes. Like, you want Patrick Mahomes, and if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, the further away from him you are at the most important position in the game, the harder it is going to be to win a Super Bowl. Particularly now, and the, the, the idea of 2017 being the time that changes everything, Yes, because that's that's when these guys start to come into the NFL. But like the more in the last couple of years, this is only being magnified because now even if Mahomes doesn't make the Super Bowl, you know, Joe Burrow will or Josh Allen will or like there's so many of these guys now. So if you're going to make that run, if you're going to be the team that makes it, it now it's got it's so hard right now because of just the quality that stands in front of you. And then the second part. So. The first part is that's your starting point, and you know that starts to raise questions about players like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott, guys that are clearly a step below that level. How big a step is up for debate, but we can all agree <clears throat> that none of those guys are in the Patrick Mahomes bracket of quarterbacks, right? The second point, I think, which has been lumped together with this one, but is a different one, is what is, is there a, has there been a shift in the style of quarterback that is now the modern prototype, right? And it, the before, you know, for years it was Tom Brady and and Brett, uh, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning were the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. They were both relatively immobile pocket passers. Therefore, that was the prototype. That's what everybody wanted, right? But this has always been cyclical. Like we talked before about when I when we did that oral history of the Joe Montana versus Steve Young thing. When Montana first came on the scene. He would, when you watch those games, you would hear every single game of his early career, somebody, John Madden or whoever the commentator was, would start talking about what a miracle it was that this guy could scramble a little bit. And then Joe Montana was an order of magnitude worse in terms of athleticism and mobility than Steve Young, who came into the NFL, you know, essentially took his job later on. 
And then even Steve Young is an order of magnitude behind the likes of Lamar Jackson, right? It, it's a different, there's a whole scale of this, but even Joe Montana kind of started that whole trend again of we need scramblers, we need guys that can move around. And then Brett Favre, that was part of his sales pitch as well. He would scramble around. Steve Young, obviously, like that became in vogue. And then it swung back towards the Brady and yeah. Peyton Manning guys because they were the best. It just, it goes in cycles, right? So we may have just got out of this era of Brady Manning and now the best quarterbacks are Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. And yes, Joe Burrow is a pocket passer, but he's also of the Joe Montana, hey, look at him scramble around a bit. Yeah, I mean, Mo. he's still more pocket passer than runaround guy, Of course, but, That's, part, that's but it's, part of the point of the email. But he's also a significantly more mobile quarterback than Brady and, and Manning, yeah. right? So I, I think my point, my only point that I think I've made with those guys is if you're Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, like the elite of the elite, any style works, right? But we have reached a point where I think the like the window to hit, if you're looking at a draft prospect who comes into the NFL and you're like, this guy cannot move. He is stuck in the pocket. He is a statue back there. He brings zero athleticism, like in a negative degree of athleticism. That's our prospect here. He needs to be so good now at everything else yeah, that's to offset that. Yeah. So, and we've seen that in recent years. There have been a few of those guys come into the league and it's like, that guy cannot move. Carson Strong from Nevada. Fantastic in the pocket, could not move, and he's now playing in one of the spring leagues, or was last I mean, time I saw. You could make the same point about Kirk Cousins, that he's, I mean, I know he outran Zach Allen one time, <laughs> but Kirk Cousins isn't going to do anything with his legs, right? which is fine. Like, you could still win with a Kirk Cousins-style quarterback. He just has to play because the, the margin for error is different. Yeah. So, so he has to play at a, at a Brady, Peyton, Breeze type of level consistently, which he doesn't. Right. But my overall point now is that I think we have reached a, a, a point where the prototype for a, an elite quarterback involves some form of athleticism. That, that, you know, the thing that we do, we've done before with the draft stuff or that everybody does in the summer and the offseason is like build the perfect quarterback. It's got Mahomes' arms. It's got, you know, Josh Allen's size, all that kind of crap. That now contains some level of athleticism in a way that it didn't necessarily before. So I'm going to take a slightly different, you know, gray area approach to this. I mean, yeah, we shouldn't be making declarations that, like, oh, you know, it's uh, you got to have a pocket passer, you have to have a mobile quarterback. Do you have to win most of the time from the pocket? Yes, absolutely, you do. Right. But the the point we always brought up about mobility is it it gives you more ability to win from the pocket because of what it it because of what the, the stress that it brings to the defense. It comes down to your whole sliders argument. When you're talking about exactly. draft prospects, I'm going to put arm strength up and accuracy's down, and if I move these sliders, uh, you of course pocket passers can still win. And throw Joe Burrow into that bucket. Joe Burrow is probably playing. He looks like he's going to be in that elite quarterback mix, Yeah, much like, uh, you know, like the Bradys and Breezes and, and Rodgers for years to come, right? So, of course, you can win with Joe Burrow. But when you don't have those guys... Here's how I'm going to position it, Sam. I always say EPA is a, a team stat, right? Expected points added. Mm -hmm. Your goal, so I don't think EPA is just like directly quarterback driven, right? But your goal is to create EPA, which leads to points and put the most points on the board. So you're just doing whatever it can to create the most efficient offense. And if you have a guy that's a 99, for lack of a better, you know, Madden term, 
in pocket presence and accuracy and decision making like Brady or Peyton, that's fine. Use that. But when a guy's only a 90 or an 88 or an 85 or an 80, you have to pull from somewhere else to get that EPA number for your team higher. You have to steal yards with your legs like Daniel Jones did last year. You have to build your run game around the quarterback's running ability like a Jalen Hurts did last year to get your offense to play at a high level. So it's, it just comes down to that. I don't think there's a type or a style or anything. It's just if you look and you say, this guy's not Brady Peyton Breeze, then he better have something else because right. if he plays like those guys and not at their level, it's not going to work. Just like if a guy is only a runner and he can't hit a pass, that's not going to work either. The, the sliders is a good um, – it's a good thing to bring up, I think, because for anyone that doesn't remember this theory I had is that – Look, when you're talking about a guy that's sufficiently deficient in one of these areas, he's got to be amazing at two of the other ones, right? So I had this three-pronged approach of arm strength, accuracy, and then decisions and anticipation when you're throwing the ball. And the theory is if you are bad at any one of those things— Using crayon. Yeah, yeah. If the slider is way down on any one of those things, it's got to be way up on the other two. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And if you're bad at two of them— you have basically no shot of working at the NFL. Um, so that's the way this theory started off. And I was actually thinking relatively recently that you now need to add a fourth slider to this. Like you now need to add athleticism, you know, mobility to that group. And if you're going to be, if you're going to stink from an athleticism standpoint, you need to be maxed out at basically the other yeah. ones, right? And I think that's now forced its way into that conversation. So... I, I think that's a good way of putting it, that we, it, it's not that you cannot win without athleticism. You know, Tom Brady was still successful at 45 years old right up until the end. It, you can obviously still win with that, but it, it, your default starting position should now be, I want that because it's important. And if I don't have it, I need to have the guy really, really good at the other stuff to offset that. The other element in all this, right, is the, we, it's hyperbole. Right? We, we're going to be talking about can't, can, as these definitive statements, when clearly if you've listened to the show for any period of time, you will know that we are well aware of the, the folly of making definitive statements like that. Like Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, for God's sake. Of course you can win a Super Bowl with basically any quarterback if the stars align and everything goes in your direction. But like it, that required Nick Foles having two of the most insane postseason performances of all time to happen. What we're talking about here is the distribution of, of like outcomes, right? If you, go into a, if you go into a single season with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, what are your chances of winning a Super Bowl? And my suggestion to that would be pretty minimal. It can happen, obviously, but is it likely to happen? No. Yeah, so let's, uh, I'm going to take time to go back through the, the outliers then, right? If we say that the, uh, since 2001... 13 Super Bowls have been won by elite quarterbacks, seven by Tom Brady, who, again, skews all the numbers. Right. It goes back to your original point. We shouldn't start with, well, here's what all Super Bowl winners do. All you have to do is X. All you have to do is have Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. By the way, just before you do that quickly, even, even just changing the, the, um, the final determiner from made Super Bowl to one Super Bowl changes your – like outcome a little bit like yeah. even just the 2017 thing okay Nick Foles got his good work but then Brady beat Goff Mahomes beat Jimmy G uh Brady versus Mahomes whatever to wash Stafford beat Burrow but that was Stafford playing like an elite quarterback for that run 
and then Mahomes beat Hurts. So even just changing, well, who made it versus who won changes how you're going to look at that. Yeah, so th- so there's there's a chunk of elite quarterbacks that either made it or won it, obviously. Um, the Stafford one's a good example, right? Because there was a point back way back when we started podcasting just a little bit, 2012 and 13, there was a point in the NFL where in 2011, the Giants won it, and in 2012, the Ravens won it. And then uh, the talking point became, we were, we were doing this back then, uh, you just need a guy capable of going on a run. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, good luck figuring, out, figuring it right. out. Like, you, could you have figured Joe Flacco going on a run? Oh. Joe Flacco was a good NFL quarterback. He was in the middle of his worst season <laughs> in 2012. The offensive coordinator got fired. Joe Flacco, both Joe Flacco and Eli Manning probably don't see a second contract if they don't go on the run that they went to win a Super Bowl. And Eli, they're both good NFL quarterbacks. Eli was a good NFL quarterback. And for two years, 2011 and 12, he looked, he was like top five. Ridiculous. He was unbelievable under pressure. And for Flacco, for about 10 games, six in the regular season and four in the playoffs, was outstanding in in, in the 2012 run. You could put Stafford kind of into that bucket. I think Stafford has been a better quarterback over the course of his career. We've done this exercise a lot, like rank the quarterbacks of the last 15 years in the era. And Stafford's right around 10 to 12. That's just where he is. You're not going to put him above Ben Roethlisberger. You're not going to put him against above Matt Ryan still in their primes. But Stafford went on a run the same way a Flacco or a, uh, an Eli did. So there's a chunk of quarterbacks who did that. There's a Foles, who's a massive outlier, went on a two-game run, but also was saddled with probably the best team in the NFL that year, all-around team with the Eagles. Right? I mean, there's uh, Cam Newton was another went-on-a-run guy. If we're honest about Cam Newton's career, it was he was just like an Eli or – He's better than Flacco, but he's kind of like an Eli, maybe a touch better. He was a good NFL quarterback. He was fine. He had one year of elite play, yeah. and they went to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, you can you – can, first off, we shouldn't just use Super Bowl winners. You should probably use Final Four teams as a starting point. You could use 10-win teams or whatever. I don't know. But it usually points to elite quarterbacks being the cheat code, and that's why we always say chase that if yeah. you don't have it yet. And if you don't have it, you have to use – everything else in your quarterback skill set to maximize him. There is no certain type. You have to just play to his strengths and build a great team around him. That's the key. And none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. That last point you made, you have to build a great team around him, is obviously an important part. So when you're looking at all these quarterbacks, whether it's won the Super Bowl, made Super Bowl, Final Four, whatever, you have to look at the teams around them. You know, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay's Rams team built around those guys. Like, these are important factors that you have to look at. But it muddies the picture, right? which is the whole point in all this. Like, That's why the basic point, if you're the, the back of a napkin version of this, is you want Patrick Mahomes, that's your starting point. If you can't have him, you want as close to Mahomes as possible, and the further away from you, you get from him, the better everything else needs to be. The better your team, coach, supporting cast, receivers, all that stuff needs to be for it to happen. And it can happen because we've seen Nick Foles, we've seen Jared Goff go to a Super Bowl, we've seen Matthew Stafford win a Super Bowl. It's obviously possible, but it means like you're, the chances of it happening, like the odds you're shooting with are much smaller. Whereas if you have Patrick Mahomes, you can still do all that other stuff. You can still construct the greatest roster of all time around him. And if you do, that team becomes almost unstoppable. Like the point is, it's just you start from that you're born on third yeah. base, like metaphor. Like if you have Stafford, if you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, 
you start the season on third base and all you got to do is like not screw it up and get home, right? Whereas all these other teams, if you're starting with wherever your quarterback is, somewhere below that roof, if you're starting with Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, you know, or further down the list, like these Kenny Pickett, right? You can still win a Super Bowl. It's possible for pretty much anybody. But now, not only are you not starting on third base, you're like down five runs in the ninth inning. Like, it's possible to win from there. It's just a hell of a lot harder. So I just, just to circle back to this. Are you I, not a little bit impressed by my baseball analysis? It's very right good. There? It's very good. They were actually sound. They worked. Yeah. Third base and, you know, you got to. Down in the ninth. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Right. It's See, really and, good. and it added to the baseball talk. Yeah, but, yeah. It's good. 16-20. Look at us. <laughs> we had some, do we add to the rugby talk? We had my. Oh, yeah, we got it. We got it. Don't worry. My uh, skull cap here. Scrum um, cap. What is it? Scrum cap. Scrum cap. Scully. Call it Scully. No. Scrummy? Do you call it a scrummy? No. Good. Good. Uh, um, so, I mean, so this is, isn't this the impetus for a lot of our analysis here? Like, isn't this what, why we sit there around draft time and just say, like, just draft a bunch of quarterbacks? Because if you, if you even look at tier two quarterbacks, uh, so of the last 20 years, I think Big Ben and Russell Wilson have been tier two quarterbacks mm-hmm. below the elite quarterbacks. They've got four, uh, five Super Bowl appearances between the two of them um, and one three. They're tier two quarterbacks. So if you just add tier one quarterbacks, the elites, and you add the tier two quarterbacks, Matt Ryan has a Super Bowl appearance, like that's a big chunk of your Super Bowls and it, 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 by top eight to ten quarterbacks. That's why when Matthew Stafford wins a Super Bowl, like we don't have to show up the next day and be like, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he now? Is he just like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees? Is he the same guy? It's like, no, no. He went on a good run. He's a tier two quarterback right, right now in this era, and he had a nice <clears throat> run for the Super Bowl. He's not a Hall of Famer. That's okay. Like, those guys win Super Bowls. It happens. It's fine. You don't have to put him in the Hall of Fame. The, the last point, I think, to make on all this, so I think our main point is, look, anything can happen, generally. We've always been saying that. But you, for sake of concise you know, conversation and simple statements, we use hyperbole a bit more and say you can win with these guys, you can't win with these guys, or at least it's a hell of a lot harder. The second point to make, um, or the last point to make, is uh, I assume Stacy is a is a woman. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. Could be it's one of those androgynous names, right? Could be either theoretically, but let's assume she's female for the moment. Just um, just say Stacy. Okay, Stacy. Has, Don't need to make any assumptions. You're right. You're right. It's, that's Either foolish. Way. You're right. Sensible point. Stacy has said that we've used basically zero data to back up any of these assertions one way or the other, which is, I think, a fair point. Um, what I would say is I think that's extremely hard when you're talking about some of this stuff. This is why I'm very excited by the potential of something like the S2 cognition test, right? Because it can quantify something that it, as, as yet is kind of unquantifiable and intangible. So... The difference between some of these tier one quarterbacks and tier two quarterbacks, it might be measurable, but only when you control for several other factors, which are, I think, more powerful in influencing stats. So what I'm saying is the difference between Kirk Cousins and Joe Burrow, I think, is probably smaller than the impact that the supporting cast for Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins has on their statistical performance. Does that make sense? Yeah. So essentially, it's too difficult to measure because it's being swayed by a bunch of other factors that are impossible to strip out of the conversation. So if you look at Kirk Cousins' statistics over the last, over his Minnesota career, effectively, right? 
you can find a bunch of stats that will put him in that bracket of the top quarterbacks. And yet everybody, everybody looking at these guys clearly knows there's a gap, right, between Kirk Cousins and Mahomes, Burrow, like the elite quarterbacks. We all acknowledge that. So you're inevitably led to this conclusion of, you know, there's a gap that we're not measuring here, and I can't quantify what that is right now for you. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. I mean, that's why I do think as I've I've aged, I do think that QB wins as I get older here. I do think the QB wins get you in the ball. They get you in the ballpark first. Um, and so we acknowledge in football, it's really tough to quantify everything, right? Yeah. And, they're, and, and so wins and losses over time, and that's why like Tom Brady having a 23-year sample helps a little bit. Over time, I think it, it gets you there. Like every single situation, when he's losing in the fourth quarter, when his defense gives up 30 points, like Tom Brady has the most wins in all of those situations, right? right? Uh, has he had good defenses in, in, in his career? Yes. But when his defense was bad, he dragged him to the Super Bowl too, right? Like that's that's the point. Mahomes is on that type of trajectory where like the environment doesn't matter. He's just going to win and produce and all that stuff. And there's only a few. Um, and you know, somebody in the chat mentioned like, why would you mention Rodgers and Breeze as elite when they only had one each and and Roethlisberger had two rings? Because I like, just watch their careers. Like Rodgers and Breeze were better quarterbacks than Big Ben. And Big Ben's first Super Bowl win in 2005. That was the year they wouldn't let him throw over 25 <laughs> times. You know, they, they beat the Seahawks. Like, the just – In one of the worst Super Bowls ever. Things happened that year. He Heinz Ward had the biggest play. Uh, no, yeah, Antoine Randall-L, right, had like a right. 50-yard touchdown in that game. Um, in the whole season, Big Ben was a passenger. That's what he was yeah. for a great defense. Was he – And he was better, but Big Ben was a better quarterback the second half of his career than he was in the first half. Did he win – this is irrelevant to your point, but well, – did he win Super Bowl MVP that game, even though he was I awful? don't think so. I think uh, who would have? It was a receiver, right? Wasn't it? Was it Randall Lyle or Heinz Ward that got it? Yeah. Let's find out. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, like Rodgers and Breeze were better quarterbacks than Big Ben. I think Despite that's having uh, uh, one fewer Super rings each. Be? 2005. 2000, yeah, but it's giving me, it's, it's done in Roman numerals. That's not helping me. No, I, I don't have a good feel for, like, the actual Super Bowl numbers. Hines won it, somebody said in the, uh, in the chat. Yeah, not yeah. that it matters, Hines but I think – Five catches, 123 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, he had the trick play catch from Antoine Randall. So, yeah. yeah. So, he didn't even win MVP in the game that they won. Like, Big Ben, in his era, was somewhere between QB 6 and 8. Pretty con- 5 and 8, pretty consistently, right? So, that's it. That's what it, that's what it was. Who Those guys give you – a great starting point, though. Who Third base or second this? base, as you would say. Yeah. Who would list this out by Roman numerals, by the way? How that's unhelpful how the NFL, is that? That's how the NFL does it. Look, the Super Bowl is a year. Like, we, need, we need a standard here. The Super Bowl is a year. And even though the 2005 Super Bowl took place in 2006, you should reference the season, which was 2005. See, soccer has, has reached this point now where they talk about it in a two-year period bracket term like it's become so you say it's too many characters you don't need one two season yeah so that nba and nhl does kind of awkward the nba and nhl does that and i kind of get it because the season there's more season in the the second year yeah so it's really the second year that is the the key right with the nfl i I mean they keep expanding the playoffs so who knows it's gonna be june before yeah yeah yeah. maybe we'll soon have a 23 24 season Mm -hmm. um but yes the season is the year in which most games were played that's the key I, I would be on board with that. I find it's just much less clunky to reference one year than two. 
like the 15, 16 season just seems Who is this guy? Time. What? Uh, why am I reading the chat and responding? Because it's June and we're having it. fun here. Brent, listen, man. Uh, I'm an Eli and Big Ben hater. I have laid out exactly what I just called Big Ben QB six to eight of his era. Debunk that. Who's he better than? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy being an Eli hater. Eli was an average, rank average quarterback who went on two spectacular runs to win Super Bowls. Which rounds up to good. Like when you're right. like the, the durability yeah. and being there every week. And right. Like we, we discussed, I am good. Not, I'm not even against the concept of Eli Manning going into the Hall of Fame if you're happy to acknowledge that his entire Hall of Fame case is those two runs. It's yeah. like 12 games. His Hall of Fame case is a 12-game sample size, and then you just had this filler of a career. Yeah, he hung around for like 12 years or whatever, but that's – basically irrelevant all that says is he was in the nfl for 12 years this is your case this 12 game run where he overcame the greatest team that's ever stepped onto a field and won two championships where he was the primary driving force like as much as you want to talk about you know nascar defense and amazing front forwards eli drove those two teams but that's his case this stuff is irrelevant this was like average quarterback play yeah and his his 2011 year was was out of this world. Yes, it was incredible. Particularly when you factor in how bad his offensive line was. Yes, I just want to. But the point being, like, he was an average quarterback that went on a, two incredible runs. Yeah. The end. Now stop doing that. I, we've already done the Eli thing when he retired. Yeah, and I'm not selling like I'm selling Big Ben short by calling him really, really good. Yeah, awesome. He's I mean, a look, Hall of Famer. If you're, I mean, he's, people have lost top ten now is an insult to people. Big Ben's a Hall of Famer. Um, I don't know. What else I need to say? Here? No, you're. A I don't think he's as good as Brady, Peyton, Breeze, Rogers. Top ten is hating. He might be QB five of his era. Okay, mm-hmm. is that is that better? He's between five and eight at any you know in, in any given year in that era. Uh-huh. Okay. Did we get this? Yeah, I think we're done. I think we've uh, talked our points out. We've addressed concerns, and we've stopped short of going where I think this email was really driving at, which I think was kind of insane. It was driving at some ridiculous stuff. That's why I, ne- I never wanted to acknowledge it, and fair, it turned into points, a 40-minute yeah, yeah. segment. But the on points the up top, I think, were fair, and I think we've covered them reasonably well. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, will be mad at us, which is how you know you've done the good job. Yeah. And I think I'm going to stay consistent going forward, which is you're going to strive to get a top four quarterback or in the top eight. You want to get a top eight right. to ten quarterback as much as possible. Correct. And those quarterbacks are going to come in all shapes and sizes in today's NFL. Sure. And if it, if it looks like a pocket-passing Brady and Burrow's the closest thing to that, fine. If but it I'm looks also, like – but I also don't think – I also don't think – I'm not going to make a declarative statement that a Lamar Jackson type can't win no. a Super Bowl, like a guy that runs as often as Lamar Jackson can't win a Super Bowl. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean yeah. it can't happen. I it can happen. I don't think we've done that. Oh, we haven't, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, other people I, I love to do that. As soon as Lamar loses in the playoffs, it's like, well, that, right. you know, mobile quarterbacks can never win. But I am happy to say now that I think you actually require a degree of uh, athleticism and mobility that if you don't have it, you better be amazing at everything else. Like, we, we, I, Derek Carr fits to me in the Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers. Like, these are mobile quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr – they're not like Lamar Jackson, but they can move. They're not Tom Brady either. Like, that level, the Tom Brady, Dan Marino, Matt Ryans of the world, he's like, you, they're, they're going to stay in the pocket and they're never leaving. Yeah. Those guys, obviously you still can win a Super Bowl with those guys, but the, the window now, the target that they have to hit is so small because that mobility provides you such a boost 
that Matt, it's just so much harder. Matt Ryan might be a really good example. Right. Of that, as soon right? as he lost all mobility, he just fell off a cliff. But he was he was ne- he was never actually mobile. Right. Right. And if you just described his skill set, that's the closest thing to Brady or Peyton yep. as far as like here's their skill set. It's a lesser version of it. He had one year where he did pair with Kyle Shanahan, two years with Kyle Shanahan, but the second year it all came together. They had the great weapons, offensive line, the play caller, and Matt Ryan's really good. And they came close, mm-hmm. right? But like his margin for error was tight yeah. the rest of his career because he didn't have all that the rest of his career. And he just slightly crossed the margin. And it's like those, you know, the thermostat where it's like one hair either way goes from being oven to icebox. <laughs> like that's the, that's the difference now in your margin for error is if you cross that threshold, you're done. Uh, right. I'm, I'm just on. excited that you threw your crayon slider drawing and we got it up onto the, onto the well, show. It's here. still magnificent. Add athleticism to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know. What do you think about her? What, what did we miss? Did we miss any points here? thought that was good. Yeah. Can we move on to something else? Yes. To everybody's favorite, um, everybody's favorite segment. Am I up? You're up. But let me, I think, let me, I've got a couple of notes here. Let's go through first and then you can, then you can do your transition. Um, Josh Shapiro pointed out that you missed the point in one of your previous uh, Palazzolo consultant GM segments. Uh, you missed the point of being a GM in a hot seat. You're supposed to blame the coaching staff uh. for not playing your picks in the correct way. Yeah. And then you clean house, and that buys you three more years. I'm not going to lie. Um, and, you know, I, he also I says, felt I'm, I'm just Cardinals, they extend him and your process. So, you know, you completely blew that one. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. When I, um, when I visualize my future yeah. as a GM, I haven't got to the part yet where I'm on the hot seat. Okay. You know yeah. what I mean? So I have I, only visualized success. You know I have not uh, I have not done a little um, you know, what do, what do you call it? Uh, you know, like damage control. Like I haven't practiced damage control because <laughs> I don't anticipate damage. You simply have never damage. put yourself in the headspace of failure. I understand That's that. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, wanna, well said. That's and, what and I was I think, looking for. Look, I I clearly we've done this wrong. You need to be in front of your uh, your you need to be in front of your podium. Do I wear this for it? I wouldn't. No, I don't think that helps your credibility. All right. As, I'm as off. The GM. So you shift Can yourself we, over there. We've got to... Cover little, me up so I can leave. We've got our transition. Maybe. Maybe transition. I forget if there's music attached to this or if I'm just talking over or something. I think that was the, uh, the explain the grade one. We have a little ditty. Now, <clears throat> so yes, I think it's fair to say that you will simply never put yourself in the headspace of contemplating failure. I'm you not. Know, which is a winner's mentality. I think that's fair. Thank you. Uh, now, Austin Putz pointed out that our GM segments to date have been a little too focused on you being the GM as opposed to providing a consultation service as a GM, which was the theory behind all this in the first place, right? You took Austin's question. This is what you took, Austin's question? I just took Austin that. Austin has a lot of suggestions. No, no, I just took that. Uh, I just took that part. He sent okay. a lot of emails, and that's the one part of them that I've taken. I'm actually going to read somebody else's question, but the concept being that this is a chance to fix that, which is got it. We have skewed a little bit away from the general premise of this conversation, which is Palazzolo consultant GM. Got it. Not okay. Palazzolo actual GM. So this email is in from Richard Roberts, dear Steve Palazzolo consultant GM. The model works. We made a deep playoff run with a young team last year, and we have the resources to keep the roster together in the near future. We're looking at at least two years of Super Bowl contention before a few low-resource years to build up capital again. Unfortunately, we did so well last year that our coaching staff was gutted. 
we still have our non-play calling head coach, but we lost our coordinator so late in the process that all of the high ticket names have already been hired. How are you going to find coordinators who can take advantage of our Super Bowl window? Calculated risk and patience got us a great roster, but the clock is ticking and a bad coaching hire could waste the chance. So this is Rich, the GM, and I'm just going to consult for him? Correct. Okay. So this isn't my team, and I'm not at a press conference right now. We're, like, we're in the boardroom. We're... Well, you're consulting GM. You're, 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 you're on the hot seat. You can, they might put you up there in front of the mics as a, as a buck, defla- you know, a buck passing exercise, a deflection device. Um, so Rich is using my model as well. Like he's right. really taking my consulting services to heart. Right. It's a long-term deal you've got worked out with Rich. Well, I'm going to start by just uh, bringing this to the table. Rich, players win championships, okay? Players play, coaches coach. We all know that. We've got the foundation. We've got the players. And, and it's good that things have worked out as a starting point. But the players are the most important thing. So the premise here, Sam, if I'm understanding, there's no coaches left to hire? You, yeah. Your coordinators have been picked away from your roster. You have a non-play-calling head coach who remains. Yes. Uh, and this is clearly like you made such a deep Super Bowl run or such a deep playoff run yeah. that all of the top names got snagged already. Well, I'm, it, it's a little vague, right? It's a little vague to give an answer here because I don't have names and people, and I don't know what it, th- what it looks like internally, but I'm promoting from within. We are going to promote from within. I feel like we've done a good job, right? I mean, we, I wouldn't be consulting for a team that wasn't coaching their coaches you got to coach your coaches. you got to have those guys ready. Our coordinators who left and took the big money, they did a good job of coaching their position coaches and having those guys ready. And you know what? We have a collaborative game plan process, I'm assuming, with this team that I'm consulting for. We collaborate. and We're not, we're not a coordinator name. We're not reliant on our coordinators. We're a team. So we've coached our coaches. We're going to be able to promote from within. Now, if for some reason we don't have those good candidates, now we've got to start looking to pluck from somewhere else. So we're probably going to call the Rams. We're going to bring in Zach Robinson. We're going to bring him in. He's probably not on our team right now. We're going to bring Zach Robinson in because I know him and I'm going to hire my friends. That's what I would do. I hire my <laughs> friends because that's what GMs do. They say, okay, I need a spot. Who do I know? Not that many people. Let's call Zach. Zach's going to be over here. He might run offense and defense for me because I said before, I would hire Zach to be a defensive consultant as well. So Zach will probably be there. I'll try to pluck Bobby Slowick over from Houston because I know him as well. And it's really important when you're in positions of power that you call your friends. You call friends and you get them jobs as well. And that's how we're going to backfill our coaching staff. Nice. Good work. You want a second one? We have a second question. Yeah, I'm ready for others. By the way, the other, I mean, realistically, the other piece of that would be if you are looking for coaches, and I haven't looked into this a ton. I mean, if you are looking for other coaches, I think you just, you're looking at position coaches and groups that have overachieved. So, you're, so you have to have a your database of coaches around the league and, you know, like the linebacker coach whose linebackers always perform, that type of thing. I I think you're starting to look for those types of people. And then it really is uh, relationships and connections because you're you're looking for leaders. You really aren't just looking for play callers. You're looking for leaders. And a lot of that stuff is, you know, it's vague. This is a vague answer because it is a, it's a vague process. You have to understand who those leaders are around the league. Okay. Um, So I had to get serious for a moment. No, no, it's fine. We got, so we got a second question in this one from Colton Carey. Carey. 
uh, sent us a very nice message up top about how uh, we'd been there whilst he and his wife and newborn went through some health problems, blah, blah, blah. My question is for Steve as a consultant GM, uh, how would you handle the T. Higgins contract situation in Cincinnati? He's allegedly being in talks for a new deal this offseason at the same time as Burrow and Jamar Chase will undoubtedly be entering into contact negotiations as well. There's been a lot of talk about whether the Bengals will have the cap space to continue to have uh, the types of teams that contend for Super Bowls uh, if a significant portion of the salary cap is dedicated to just three players. And we've seen great quarterbacks have a lot of success with wide receivers are getting paid a lot less than Higgins and Chase will be demanding. However, it seems like the Bengals front office is committed to all three guys long term as evidenced by their willingness to let several impending free agents walk earlier this offseason, as well as their propensity to draft defensive players with all their day one and day two draft picks over the last couple of years. Do you agree with the Bengals' strategy to keep all three of these players long-term and specifically keep T. Higgins long-term, as obviously nobody is questioning whether you bring back Burrow and Chase? Or, like your assistant GM, me, has previously suggested, would you be looking to explore other options outside of re-signing T. Higgins, Higgins long-term, either looking to trade him or play out his current contract with a potential franchise tag or let him walk? Thanks okay. again. Okay, so that's a great question. What I would suggest, uh, my, my consulting of uh, to Duke Tobin over in Cincinnati, my, my answer would be this. First off, you want to know what his trade market would be. I, it is important to know. I'm not saying you're dangling him or anything, but you want to have an idea. Are you getting two firsts? Are you getting a first? Are you getting a first and a second? Are you just get? Uh, is it just a you know a first and a third? It, what do people want out of T. Higgins? Um, the other thing that I would say, as long as T. Higgins is in Cincinnati, I think his trade value could go through the roof. Right? Like we're talking about him for a first round pick in part because Jamar Chase got hurt last year and T. Higgins stepped up. That is, that is important for two reasons for the Bengals. It's good that they have a wide receiver one at 1B, basically, behind Jamar Chase. When If Chase gets hurt, Higgins can step up. And it also proved his value. So I think when I think long-term for T. Higgins, how about three years? Can you keep him? Or can you structure a contract where he's getting paid for pretty much for three years? Maybe you can move on from him after the three-year period. And then you just kind of alter the Burrow contract and the Jamar Chase contract so that the cap hits are just spread out during those times. Maybe Burrow and Chase are taking a little bit less from a cap hit standpoint in their early years while Higgins is on the roster. But I think it's doable. The, the risk isn't having three big, uh, big contracts necessarily. It's three big contracts all at QB and wide receiver. Right? The, the Chiefs have done this with they had Patrick Mahomes, they had Chris Jones, and they had Frank Clark. Right? Three huge contracts, but two of them were on the defensive line. Nobody would question if it was Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. So I, I don't think we need to question that. It just makes your margin for error across the rest of the roster a little bit tighter. So I would say let's try to keep T. Higgins. Let's know the trade market. And let's try to anticipate if that trade market gets higher and higher, there might be a time to trade him. Uh, because we, as the Bengals with Joe Burrow at quarterback, we're going to make T. Higgins' value probably even higher as we go here. So I'm going to try to keep him. I think we're going to try to keep him for at least two to three years. I'll be willing to trade him if the right offers come along. We're definitely building around Burrow and Chase. And then, yeah, we're going to make all those other mitigating moves across the defensive line and in the secondary and places where we might not be able to bring in a big ticket free agent or have a big re-signing. We're going to make sure that those positions are young and strong. And, oh, by the way, we'll keep drafting receivers. I like what they did last year. Bring in a Charlie Jones. Bring in Eusebis from, uh, from Princeton. Keep drafting wide receivers so that you do have a backup plan for T. Higgins. If you're going to be a dynasty, Sam, if you're going to be a dynasty – 
like the Patriots, I never want my playmakers to be you know, pulling my quarterback down. I always want to put Joe Burrow in best position to succeed, so you always have to make sure that they're strong. Higgins and Chase for at least two to three more years. All right, NFL podcast at pff.com is where to send the emails if you have questions for Palazzolo Consultant GM. Put Consultant GM in the title so that uh, we can identify them. Um, that was Steve as GM, but what about your fantasy GM? The player that you benched in fantasy football just went off with best ball on DraftKings. You get the best of your team all season long. This year, best ball on DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest best ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings' best ball millionaire contest and snake your draft team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, drops, or trades. Team with the most points at the end of the season will have a shot to take home $1 million top price. Head to DraftKings app and sign up with the code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10 DK dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions applied. Uh, vo- void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends July 14th, 2023. Well done. Thank you. Good work. Very serious consultant GM today. Yeah. Didn't you know, make less, fun of Walt uh, and call out the chat or anything I like know, that. I know. A lot less, you know. Brevity. You need Sometimes. to give me... I kind of like it when it's a little bit more press conferencey, though, and I'm answering questions. I'm willing to to answer some questions. I mean, out I'm there. just a I'm just a product of of the emails. NFL podcast at pff.com. You send me emails, I read them out. Yeah, and we'll do follow. I'll do follow up questions from the from the crowd. Though I think we addressed, you know, the concern that that we had been a little bit too focused on Palazzolo, the GM, and not yeah. Palazzolo consultant. GM. Directly consulting Duke and the, and the Bengals, right? Katie and, and everybody that's so involved. I, I think there. we moved. You know, we took it in the right direction there. All right, we have got some more. There's at least one more that we can do. I'll do one more. No, 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 not, not now, not now. Don't go too. In yeah, the don't future. Go too, yeah, okay. don't, don't go too. Long. I like that. I mean, I like, I like being on the hot seat there. Hmm. But like the coach question, that's a tough one. How are you going to hire coaches? I don't know. That's a, right. It's a challenge. Your team's getting picked apart. How do you find coaches? Things have been successful. These are the follies. Yeah, you got to have. You have to have the running list of coaches that you're, that you're looking at going forward. I like right. your. Uh, I like the way you settled though on just hiring the people you knew. Yeah, I'm going to bring in my friends. I mean, think about those conversations. Who are we going to hire? I, I don't know. Zach's available. <laughs> you know, that stuff definitely happens. Yeah. I know him. Worked with him before. There's really some truth to that, though. Like it, hiring unseen versus somebody you you have at least worked with before in sure. the same building. I mean, there's a reason that whatever. happens beyond simple like yeah. cronyism. Yeah, like, it's it not is. just like oh, it's my buddy. Make sure he has right. a job. It's like, I know what he's going to bring to the table. Yeah, I am familiar with his strengths. <clears throat> I, I believe he's a really knowledgeable, yeah. awesome guy. Like most of these people are not just being like, I want to hook my buddy up with a $10 yes. million a year job. They're like, I know this guy. I have faith in his ability. I want to do something special. What I would be curious about as a GM, which you didn't, you didn't investigate this, but you know, I would be exploring the conversation with our billionaire owner and saying, hey, if you want to win, if you want this dynasty that you keep talking about, if you want multiple championships, if you want a handful of rings so you can sit there on a Sports Illustrated cover like Michael Jordan with all your you know, jewelry, you need to start throwing so much money at these coaches that they don't want to go anywhere else for a head coaching job. Like, why would I want to leave my cushy coordinator position 
where I'm crushing it and getting paid $15 million a year to go be somebody else's head coach where the whole thing might unravel and I might get fired after two years. Like, we're going to take care of you way better than anything else. Now, yes, you're going to lose a little bit of the credit, but our head coach here doesn't call plays. Everybody knows it's you anyway, you know? You're getting the credit. You're just not having the risk of having to run the whole organization, everything unraveling around you and you being the fall guy. You don't get the risk of being Cleveland Bill Belichick, right? Where even if it wasn't your fault, you're the guy getting kicked out of the building. We know that you're the mastermind behind the offense or the defense here. And, you know, you don't get the risk. It's a win-win for everybody. So load up on the coaching staff. I'm just saying, I feel like like that's a way, I feel like that's an avenue an owner could take if they really wanted to, to say, look, we understand... One of the few areas I can influence as a billionaire, yes. this thing, is if by you, throwing untold sons of money at coordinators. It, and, but also, but, but it's not just that. It's coaching staff, but yeah. it's also nutrition. Everything. It's like everything that you do in the building as a former professional player, right? When, the, when a certain major league team sent me on my way for the next six hours on a road trip with one slice of, tur- uh, road trip with one slice of turkey, mm. and here's your sandwich, slice of turkey, be a... Be a uh, you know well you know high energy professional <laughs> athlete with this slice of turkey. And the other team that I played for, it hot meal and it's timed up better. And then there's another hot meal and all. there's a difference in investment. Well, it's all it's like the that NFLPA report card thing, you know, like the difference between the teams that are like A at everything and the teams that are F at almost everything. I don't know what it is, but it has to add up. Like that has to actually be a reasonably significant edge yeah. for the teams that are providing all of that stuff and making their players lives better across the board and everything feels good and the teams that are like where what was it, the Cardinals one was reported as like walking across the weight room was was seen as a health and safety hazard like again I don't know what percentage that is over a 17 game season but it feels like it, it at least moves the needle like it registers on the seismograph there um, I would have a great I mean, everybody thinks they've got the best strength and conditioning but like right. I would Make sure that we have the best strength and condition. So that's one area I think you can invest, and that's where you know the Vikings ownership, however you kind of question their commitment to winning, they were one of the top teams in that. If not, they were second, I think, overall. The Dallas Cowboys was really high in that. So you know, Brad was talking about for all the talk of Jerry Jones just wanting to win, they don't necessarily give the contracts out that they you know, spend cash to make that happen. But they were really high on that stuff. So he does spend, you know, there's money being spent. Um, but the other area, I think, is the coaching staff. Like, again, you go back in time when, um, when Mike Tice, Nate Tice, our, our friend of the show, when his dad was coaching the Vikings and one of his coaches got picked off somewhere, they wouldn't let him hire a replacement. Like, he had to get someone to double up, like be a coordinator and something else because they wouldn't give him the budget to go and hire a new coach. Like, that's one end of the, this, the extreme. The other end is to go... We're going, to, we're going to pay our coordinators more than head coaching gigs that they would get elsewhere and convince them to stay around because that's how you win championships. If you knew you had the right guys, right? If you yeah, absolutely knew you had the right guys, then But, like, if you around. had – and you're going to bat, you have to battle, obviously, ambition, you know? Like, it, these guys want to be head coaches because they want – so you'd have to sell them on that idea yeah. of, look, the guy in charge – is a figurehead, but you, you're already getting the credit. We're going to make sure they know that you're the mastermind behind the defense or the offense or whatever. But, like, could you keep a D'Amico Ryans around by paying – like, I'm going to double your salary. You're going to get paid more than you would if you were went to be the head coach of Houston, 
and you don't risk the whole thing careering into a ditch because somebody else is buying the groceries for you or you know something else in the building is bad and you can't change it you know the setup here is good we were in the super bowl last year we're going to stay around we're going to win five championships together everybody's going to be great like could you could you achieve that if you were an owner by just throwing untold sums of money at it kept josh mcdaniels around for a while right for a long time right as a good offensive coordinator where he had all these other head coaching opportunities that he didn't want sure so so there we go this is a good show is that it for today i believe so good show that's all i got anyway for today so we're gonna be back what wednesday and thursday this week is that right beautiful it's june we appreciate everybody for tuning in especially in june send us your emails nfl podcast at pff be sure to follow at NFL pod on Twitter mm-hmm. and uh, we're working on the field for some rugby drills I got my uh, what is it scrum cap scrum cap I'm ready to go mm-hmm. so this is coming very very soon all right thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you again on Wednesday.